Patching by hand. Two kinda sorta Microsoft Zero Days. And careful with that file, Eugene. All that and more on the Naked Security Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. I am Doug Ameth. He is Paul Ducklin. Paul, how do you do today? Were you making an allusion to the Pink Floyd? The Pink Floyd, yes. That's so. the name by which they were originally known, I believe. Oh, really? They, they dropped the the because I think it got in the way. The Pink Floyd. That's a fun fact. And uh, as luck would have it, I have more fun facts for you. You know, we start the show with This Week in Tech History. We've got a two for today. This week, on July 17th, 2002, Apple rolled out iCal, calendar software that featured internet-based calendar sharing and the ability to manage multiple calendars. July 17th was prominently featured on the app's icon, which even led July 17th to become World Emoji Day, established in 2014. It's quite a cascading effect, Paul. Although... On your iPhone, you'll notice that the icon changes to today's date, because that's very handy. And you'll notice that other service providers may or may not have chosen different dates, because why copy your competition, indeed? All right, let's get into it. We'll talk about our first story. Uh, This is about Zimbra and adventures in cross-site scripting. Good old XSS, Paul. Yes, that's where you are essentially able to hack a website to include rogue JavaScript without breaking into the server itself. You perform some action or create some link to that site that tricks the site into including content in its reply that doesn't just mention, for example, the search term you typed in, like my search term, but includes additional text that shouldn't be there, like my search angle bracket script, angle bracket rogue JavaScript, angle bracket slash script, angle bracket. In other words, you trick a site into displaying content with its own URL in the address bar that contains untrusted JavaScript in it. And that means that the JavaScript you have sneakily injected actually has access to all the cookies set by that site. So it can steal them. It can steal personal data. And even more importantly, it can probably steal authentication tokens and stuff like that to let the crooks get back in next time. Okay, so what did Zimbra do in this case? Well, the good news is that they reacted quickly because, of course, it was a zero day. Crooks were already using it. So they actually took the slightly unusual approach of saying, we've got the patch coming. You will get it fairly soon. But they said quite thoughtfully, We understand that you may want to take action sooner rather than later. Now, unfortunately, that does mean writing a script of your own to go and patch one line of code in one file in the product distribution on all your mailbox nodes. But it's a very, very small and simple fix. And of course, because it's one line, you can easily change the file back to what it was if it should cause problems. If you were dead keen to get ahead of the crooks, you could do that without waiting for the full release to drop. And what a sense of accomplishment, too. It's, it's, it's been a while since we've been able to roll up our sleeves and just hand patch something like this. It's kind of like fixing the sink on a Saturday morning. It, you just feel good afterwards. So if I was a Zimbra user, I'd be jumping all over this just because I like to get my... <laughs> and unlike patching the sink, there was no crawling around in 
tight cupboards and there was no risk of flooding your entire property. The fix was clear and well-defined. One line of code changed in one file. All right, so if I'm a programmer, what, what, can I, what are some steps I can take to avoid uh, cross-site scripting such as this? Well, the nice thing about this bug, Doug, is it almost acts as documentation for the kind of things you need to look out for in cross-site scripting because the patch shows that there's a server-side component which was simply taking a string and using that string inside a web form that would appear at the other end in the user's browser. And you can see that what the program now does, this particular software is written in Java, it calls a function escape XML, which is, if you like, the one true way of taking a text string that you want to display and making sure that there are no magic XML or HTML characters in there that could trick the browser. So in particular, less than, greater than, ampersand, double quote, or single quote, also known as apostrophe, those get converted into their long-form safe HTML codes. If I may use our standard naked security cliche, Doug, sanitize thine inputs is the bottom line here. Ooh, I love that one. Great. Uh, let's move on to Pink Floyd. Obviously, we've been waiting for this all show. If Pink Floyd were cybersecurity researchers, it's fun to imagine that they may have written a hit song called Careful With That File, Eugene, instead, Paul. Indeed. Careful With That File is a reminder that sometimes when you upload a file to an online service, if you pick the wrong one, you might end up redistributing the file rather than for example, uploading it for secure storage. Fortunately, not too much harm done in this case, but this was something that happened at Google's VirusTotal service. And listeners will probably know that VirusTotal is a very popular service where if you've got a file that either you know it's malware and you want to know what lots of different products call it, so you know what to go hunting for in your, in your threat logs, or if you think maybe I want to get the sample securely to as many vendors as possible, as quickly as possible, then you upload to VirusTotal. It is meant to be made available to dozens of cybersecurity companies almost immediately. That's not quite the same as broadcasting it to the world or uploading it to a, a leaky online cloud storage bucket, but it is meant to share that file with other people. <laughs> and unfortunately, it seems that an employee inside VirusTotal accidentally uploaded an internal file that was a list of customer email addresses to the virus total portal <laughs> and not to whatever portal they were supposed to use. The real reason for writing this story up, Doug, is before you laugh, before you point fingers, before you say, what were they thinking? Stop and ask yourself this one question. Have I ever sent an email to the wrong person by mistake? That's a rhetorical <laughs> question. We've all done it. <laughs> it is some of, some of us more than once. Mm -hmm. And if you have ever done that, then what is it that guarantees that you won't upload a file to the wrong server by mistake making a similar kind of error? It is a reminder that there is many a slip, Douglas, between the cup and the lip. All right. And we do have some tips for the good people here, starting with, I'd say, arguably one of, one of our most unpopular pieces of advice, but log out from online accounts whenever you aren't actually using them. Yes. Now, ironically, that might not have helped in this case, because as you can imagine, VirusTotal is specifically engineered 
so that anybody can upload files because they're meant to be shared for the greater good of all quickly to people who need to see them. But only trusted customers can download stuff because the assumption is that the uploads often do contain malware, so they're not meant to be available to just anybody. When you think about the number of sites that you probably remain logged into all the time, that just makes it more likely that you will take the right file and upload it to the wrong place. If you're not logged into a site and you do try and upload a file there by mistake, then you will get a login prompt and you will protect you from yourself. It's a fantastically simple solution, but as you say, it's also outrageously unpopular because <laughs> it is modestly inconvenient. Yeah. Sometimes, however, you've got to take one for the team. And uh, not to shift all the onus to the end users, if you're in the IT team, consider putting controls on which users can send what sorts of files to whom. Unfortunately, this kind of blocking is kind of unpopular. If you like, for the other side of the coin reason to why people don't like logging out of accounts when they're not using them, when IT comes along and says, you know what, we're going to turn on the data loss prevention parts of our cybersecurity endpoint product, people go, well, that's inconvenient. What if it gets in the way? What if it interferes with my workflow? What if it causes a hassle for me? I don't like it. So a lot of IT departments may end up staying a little bit shy of potentially interfering with workflow like that. But Doug, as I said in the article, you will always get a second chance to send a file that wouldn't go out the first time by negotiating with IT, but you never get the chance to unsend a file that was not supposed to go out at all. <laughs> exactly. All right. Good tips there. Our last story, but certainly not least. Paul, I don't have to remind you, but uh, we should remind others. Applied cryptography is hard. Security segmentation is hard, and threat hunting is hard. So what does that all have to do with Microsoft? Well, there's been a lot of news in the media recently about Microsoft and its customers getting turned over, hit up, probed, hacked by a cybercrime group known as Storm. And one part of this story goes around 25 organizations that had these rogues inside their exchange business. They're sort of zero days. Now, Microsoft published a pretty full and fairly frank report about what happened, because obviously there were at least two blunders by Microsoft. The way they tell the story can teach you an awful lot about threat hunting and threat response when things go wrong. Okay, so it looks like Storm got in via Outlook Web Access using a bunch of usurped authentication tokens, which is basically like a temporary cookie that you present and it's like, this person's already logged in, they're legit, let them in, right? Exactly, Doug. When that kind of thing happens, which obviously is worrying because it allows the crooks to bypass the strong authentication phase, the bit where you have to type in your username, type in your password, then do a 2FA code, or where you have to present your YubiKey, or we have to swipe your smart card. The obvious assumption when something like that happens is that if the person at the other end has malware on one or more of their users' computers, it does get a chance to take a peek at things like browser content before it gets encrypted, which means that it can 
leech out authentication tokens and send them off to the crooks where they can be abused later. Microsoft admit in their report that that was their first assumption. And if it's true, it's problematic because it means that Microsoft and those 25 people have to go running around trying to do the threat hunting. But if that isn't the explanation, then it's important to figure that out early on so you don't waste your own and everyone else's time. Then Microsoft realized, actually, it looks as though the crooks are basically minting their own authentication tokens, which suggests that they must have stolen one of our supposedly secure Azure Active Directory token signing keys. Well, that's worrying. Then Microsoft realized these tokens are actually apparently digitally signed by a signing key that's only really supposed to be used for essentially for consumer accounts, for what are called MSAs, Microsoft accounts. The kind of signing key that would be used to create an authentication token, say, if you or I were logging into our personal Outlook.com service. Oh, no, there's another bug that means that it is possible to take a signed authentication token that is not supposed to work for the attack they have in mind and then go in and mess around with people's corporate email. So that all sounds very bad, which of course it is, but there is an upside. And that is the irony that because this wasn't supposed to work, because MSA tokens aren't supposed to work on the corporate Azure Active Directory side of the house and vice versa, no one at Microsoft had ever bothered writing code to use one token on the other playing field, which meant that all of these rogue tokens stood out. So there was at least a giant visible red flag for Microsoft's threat hunting. Fixing the problem, fortunately, because it's cloud side problem, means that you and I don't need to rush out and patch our systems. Basically, the solution is disown the signing key that's been compromised so it doesn't work anymore. And while we're about it, let's fix that bug that lets a consumer signing key be valid in the corporate side of the exchange world. It sort of is a bit of an all's well that ends well. But as I said, it's a big reminder that threat hunting often involves a lot more work than you might at first think. And if you read through Microsoft's report, you can imagine just how much work went into this. Well, in the spirit of catching everything, let's hear from one of our readers the comment of the week. I can tell you firsthand after doing this for the better part of 10 years, and I'm sure Paul can tell you firsthand after doing this thousands and thousands of articles worth, typos are a way of life for a tech blogger. And if you're lucky, sometimes you end up with a typo so good that you're loath to fix it. Such is the case with this Microsoft article. Reader Dave quotes Paul writing, quote, which seemed to suggest that someone had indeed pinched a company singing key, end quote. Dave then follows up the quote by saying, singing keys rock. Exactly. I yes, think... I did. it took me a while <laughs> to realize that's a pun. But uh, yeah, singing key. What do you get if you drop a crate of saxophones into an army camp? <laughs> a flat major. <laughs> oh, all right. Very good. Dave, thank you for pointing that out. And uh, we do agree that singing keys rock. Signing keys, less so. But uh, if you have an interesting story, comment, or question you'd like to submit, we'd love to read it on the podcast. You can email tips at sophos.com. You can comment on any one of our articles, or you can hit us up on social at Naked Security. That's our show for today. Thanks very much for listening. For Paul Ducklin, I'm Doug Ameth, reminding you, until next time, to 
stay, stay secure. secure.